Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Scott Galloway. And first off, thank you, Kara. For what? (laughs) I got home and there was a box (laughs) from Kara Swisher. And Uh it was strange. It had two (laughs) things in it. It had a book written by Edward Snowden called— Which you wanted. uh, Not really. You got it for me. You told me you wanted it. You told me you wanted to read it to understand him better, but go ahead, move along. Uh, and a rabbit. So can you? I haven't. I don't. It's you know. It's not that often that I receive a small furry animal in the mail from a coworker. <laughs> but I'm still. Is the rabbit? Here's the deal. Okay. Here's the deal. Go you ahead. wanted a rabbit coat. I'm not getting you a rabbit coat, but yeah. I got you a very soft, stuffed rabbit because I have 400 of them. As as a new parent now, and I felt like it was a nice. It was sort of a comfort rabbit for you. It's very soft. Is that correct? It, it's, it's very a jelly. Yeah, it's very nice. I gave it to my nine year old, and he has it in the zoo that is his bed every night. Fantastic. Well, that's your rabbit, Scott. You really need to like talk to it. You could give it's 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 the it's the thing you give before you give a rabbit coat, which you keep demanding from me for some reason. Something to do with your parents and a rabbit coat and everything else. And I thought I would start off by giving you a rabbit to start with. I oh, thought I just, about a live rabbit. I thought about a live rabbit. I thought about a boiled rabbit, like if we were in Fatal Attraction. I thought about a lot of rabbit situations. I just I had a gangster idea. I'm one of the <laughs> I'm one of the jerks that's abusing the uh, FAA system and has turned my Vishla into a comfort dog. And I have oh, a no. special harness that says comfort dog. I'm going to no, put it on that really. toy little stuffed rabbit and take it on a plane <laughs> with big with big. With big Jackie Onassis glasses, petting my stuffed <laughs> rabbit and having a, it'll be my comfort rabbit. Oh, Listen to me. I don't yes. believe you do that with your dog. On the, are you kidding me? Yeah. They, they're not onto your ridiculous scam. They're not. Oh God. And yeah, no, it's uh, JetBlue. Unfortunately, pay because that, it, right? because of you, I'm being recognized on planes now. I like to get on planes See? last, and people go, no. "Hey, man, love the no. podcast." And I'm like, "Do not talk to me in public." <laughs> If you hold the rabbit, they won't. I do not deal well with praise. (laughs) You like being famous. If it wasn't there, you'd be so sad. Yeah. So a lot going on. A lot to talk about. There's a lot going on. It never stops. It never frigging stops. This is like a crazy, like I literally slept all day yesterday. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. There's a couple of things. I was going to talk about Ivanka Trump on the stage at CES, which was just horrifying on so many levels. But then Facebook drops news, you know, as usual, on a day where no one's going to pay attention, which they're not going to choose, trying to say they're for ad transparency. And they released a whole bunch of stuff around giving people control over ads, political ads. They saw what they didn't say, which was they're not changing their ad policy about lying politicians. So this morning, they obviously gave the story to both the, the New York Times and Washington Post, but Facebook, uh, as written by Mike Isaac, said it on Thursday it would not make any major changes to its political advertising policies, which allows lies and ads, despite pressure from lawmakers who say the company is abdicating responsibility for what appears on the platform. It was part of a bigger announcement they made about how they're going to manage political ads on their platforms. Yeah, that's right. What, what do we think about this? 
Well, it's just, it's the most, just to think the most powerful network in the world with the greatest reach has decided that it's now a war of disinformation, that we have truly become kind of Kremlin-style uh, propaganda. And it's, they're, they're, I don't, I, this is indefensible. I believe that every movement, every, absolutely every narrative, every word, every action, every coffee or, or latte that's poured at Facebook headquarters is all headed towards one direction. And that is how do we make Facebook shareholders wealthier, regardless of the teen depression, the damage to the Commonwealth, or how it tears at the fabric of our society. And to a certain extent, I get it, and that's why I own their stock. But we have a serious, you know, feckless administration, uh, lawmakers, FTC, DOJ that won't step in and say, look, you know, there's been a Fairness and Advertising, Political Advertising Act on the Senate floor for a long time. And because of the mm -hmm. Freedom Caucus, we can't get just like basic IQ legislation through. So I think it's really disappointing. Can you talk also a little bit about, I mean, when they announce what a shocker, they're not going to do anything that gets in the way of them making another nickel. They right. The controversy around Vogue, did you see what happened with the Facebook yeah, post on Vogue. Vogue? What happened there? Yeah, that was a strange. Well, you know, in this case, I don't blame Facebook. Look, all these companies try to buy those infomercials, essentially. Right. Like, it's called SponCon, right. which is sponsored content. I yeah. don't know where that word came from, but whatever. What happened was they put it up like it was a real article. It was interviews with the uh, women who work on their elections team, including Katie Harbeth and some others. Very lovely picture of them, you know, right. one of those Vogue kind of pictures. Yeah. And and then a story that was largely laudatory about their incredibly extreme efforts to work for our people. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. Which was, look, if it's editorial content that Facebook buys, I don't fault Facebook for doing that. I fault Condé Nast for not labeling it correctly. And then, yeah. and then um, uh, you know, it's interesting to see that Facebook's trying to look nicer in the press, essentially. But th that that's an interesting thing. But what a surprise. They think they put it they put a thing on it and then took a thing off of it saying what it was. And then it disappeared after uh, people like Sheryl Sandberg had tweeted it, which, again, I don't fault her for tweeting it either. Like, you know, it is what it is. It's, it's a positive yeah. story about Facebook. And so, um, so anyway, it just looked. It was a bad look on Condé Nast. But, you know, the fact that we think some of these magazine companies and things like that don't do this constantly is kind of on us, but they do. And so they had to sort of apologize. And Teen Vogue, which had sort of a, a real uh, blooming for a while there under their editor who left, um, is now just online. Remember, they closed down. It was, a, it was a project of Anna Winter to start it in the first place, and now it's just an online publication. Anyway, it was just like, it was just another, well, oh, well, you know, just the, the constant degrading of our standards, pretty much. Yeah, it's, so. it reminds me, I was um, interviewing Josh Brown, who I think is really impressive. He's the CEO, or president, or CEO, maybe, of Ritholtz Management, and I was just indignant about all the Internet analysts from these investment banks that were about to write a buy on WeWork at a valuation of $48 billion. And he said, Scott, get over it. Everybody who knows anything knows that these companies aren't in the business of honest analysis. They're in the business of yeah. pumping pumping, oh, and yeah. marketing these stocks. And to sure. a certain extent, when you're, when you're reading Vogue, I mean, they're not in the business of journalism, right? Do you remember when they did this fascinating story with this spread, this kind of glamorama shot of, of Marissa Mayer. And then what do you know, it was announced a few weeks later or a few weeks before that she was, Yahoo was sponsoring the Met Ball to the tune of $3 yeah, million. Dollars. Yeah. Yep, yep. So the notion that there's there's a wall between you know journalists and advertisers, no, there's not. There never has been. It's not even a curb. And 
The reality is it's pay-to-play. About the moment Net-A-Porter went into competition with these guys and launched their own magazine, Porter, which I actually think is a pretty well-done magazine, they stopped writing puff pieces on Natalie Massonet about what an impressive female leader she is. So, yeah, I kind of agree with you. Shame on us. But the notion, it just seems especially brazen to have an article. I mean, some editor really had to close their eyes and put their hands over their ears and say, okay, we're going to talk about how Facebook is helping helping protect us. Right. And then the second thing they did was announce this whole deep fake videos, um, which they were yesterday, too. There's a lot of announcements out of Facebook this week. Facebook also said it's banning deep fakes, which allow videos to use AI to change what figures in a video are saying. You know, they got came under fire for that manipulated video of, of Speaker Pelosi that made her appear like she was drunk and slurring, unlike the speech that Trump gave the other day. He looked like he was on Adderall, which is what the internet was talking about. Um, But it still was the minimum they can do, and it wouldn't have pulled that video off because it went through a fact-checking process, and then they labeled it. And so this minimum effort by Facebook and maximum effort on your part to figure it out is part of their plan. Like, that's to me, is the most depressing part of this. But the deepfake thing, they will, I'm pretty sure, and they're already doing it, they'll announce that, you know, deepfakes are a threat to our democracy, and we're going to run some some shitty software that catches 3% of them. But what it is is the following. When an illusionist is on stage, he or she will create uh, a, a distraction such that you don't see that they're about to fool you yeah. with the right hand, right? And that's what the deep fake, uh, the deep fake quote unquote um, fix from Facebook is, and that is uh, an illusionist trick, a distraction from the fact that politicians can lie, and whoever has kind of the backbone or the lack of moral clarity or whatever bad actor has decided to lie on behalf of someone else on this platform and and leverage. Leverage kind of what's scary that a lot of the content you get from Facebook is from other people you trust. So if something's forwarded to you from your mom, right, and it's an ad and it says this is a political ad that looks like it has some production quality, you're just sort of inclined to believe it. Even if you know it's fake, a little bit of the message will stick. That's the real damage here. That's the real, and, and you know, again, that's yep. why, again, Facebook plays them a different set of rules than some of some of the other folks who we lean on for information and why Facebook, I mean, it's, it's just sort of a, it's emblematic of how just incredibly damaging Facebook is. And again, uh, buttresses this notion that Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg will go down in history as the people who've done the most damage while making the most money in the history of modern business. You know, interesting. I was someone who was debating that. There was a story in the Times about uh, Rupert Murdoch's publications in Australia trying to, you know, not to blame arsonists and something. I don't know, whatever matches yeah. for the problem in uh, Australia. The terrible, obviously, climate change induced problems in Australia, and the. And I was trying. I think I tweeted something like, "I think the most damaging person is this man, like who continues to like everywhere he goes, spews hate, disinformation, and and damage, real damage." Rupert, your and, old and, boss. Yeah, it was just sort of like it was. It was going to be my fail, but he, to me, they're the most damaging because they do it on purpose and with such purpose. This is something else that is so disturbing because they do think they're right about what they're doing. Rupert Murdoch knows just what he's doing, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, and so it's just an insidious situation. I don't know what to say because I I agree that stuff that Facebook is doing is just as bad in, in lots of ways. You know, but it didn't prevent a government from doing anything about fires, like that are actually hurting, killing billions of animals or billions of animals in Australia. It's, it's um, 
uh, it's interesting because you're more you're hopeful about big tech in a weird way. I'm kind of hopeful about Fox because I've gotten to know some of the people there and I like them. And I think at some point they occasionally throw up their arms. What Tucker said about right. the bombing in Iran, I thought that was a moment of integrity. I think Neil Cavuto has tremendous integrity as a journalist. I'm more hopeful, I think, about Fox than you are, but you know them better. You work for them. I didn't. <laughs> The problem with uh, an administration, there's an attention graph, and attention arguably is our most valuable resource. And unfortunately, we're allocating too much of the most valuable resource in the world to these dumpster fires from an administration that just wants to be in the headlines every day and such that we can't focus on things like income inequality. We can't focus on, you know, trying to put a, put a man or a woman on Mars. We can't focus on how we solve global hunger or malaria. We have to focus on what stupid thing the administration has done in the last hour. And one of the things I did last night was I went online to read a little bit more about, I mean, we have a continent that's on fire right now. And what's interesting is it's climate change, but it's also weather variability. It's like the mother of all bad things have happened to Australia. The the, the winds from the Antarctic are late this year. So the monsoon rains came early. So not only is the place dry, it's not wet. There are un, un, there, It is climate change, but it's also the perfect storm of kind of bad natural things that have lit this country on fire. And I have a bit of a rant here, and this is just because I want to cause a lot. I want to, I want to have more people hate me on Twitter. Oh, but, good. But uh, I think about 40 people have died, 40 humans. Let's call them 40 species of the human have died. And they estimate approximately a billion animals have died, right? So mm-hmm. what's the difference among these species that, you know, where a billion dies and uh, for only 40 million? And it's largely because we as a species have access to more resources and more information than animals who get caught in, you know, burn alive, Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm convinced that effectively what we have is our society run now by baby boomer generation, the most selfish generation in history across Western society, has effectively decided that they're kind of they're comfortable and they're down with climate change. So we'll talk a big game about it, but at the end of the day, we're comfortable because I think implicitly leaders and wealthy people or, or people who are middle income have decided that climate change will impact the people with the fewest resources and options among our species. And that you and I, Kara, and, and again, this may be wrong, but I, I generally believe it. I think climate change is going to be on a massive level for the next 50 years. But I think you and I are going to ju- be just fine because we have resources. When well, a hur- yeah, of course. I mean, when a hurricane hits people. Florida, I call yeah. my family. I'm like, no, don't think about it. Just get out. And they're fine. And then Katrina hits. Who gets hit hardest? The poor. So I think we've made a conscious decision globally that we're down with climate change because fossil fuels are incredible, incredibly accretive in terms of shareholder value. I don't value. agree with you. I think you're completely well, hold on, wrong. Hold on, I think me, young let me, people. Let me, let me finish. All right, all right we're going to get respond. to this. We have, a re, but, we have a listener mail about this. Yeah, but that, uh, agree. But it's nothing but a transfer of wealth from the poor to the rich and from the young to the old who, A, have to deal with this shit, choking on it, and, B, I think we've effectively saying to the world that if a billion people get displaced and slowly get murdered because of typhoid, malaria, diarrhea, whatever it is, we're down with that as long as the the three billion who are the wealthiest can continue this incredible arb around fossil fuels. And what I don't like about Democrats is this bullshit narrative that that all the requisite investment we need to make to move to a carbon-neutral world is going to create jobs and be economically accretive. No, it's not. It's going to be expensive, and it should be because it's important. But anyways, another uh, massive nice, transfer of wealth rant. from the poor to the rich. You like that transfer rich. of the rich to the poor. Like, as that's if my it's big narrative. Since the, you know, it's been going on since the beginning of fucking time. But okay, all right, fine. 
whatever. Well, there you go. Happens. Where don't the rich do well? I mean, honestly, every place, every, ugh, please. Listen to me. We're going to throw it to the break after this, but yeah. I just want to mention one last thing about the, I'm going back to Facebook. There was an essay by, uh, a memo by uh, Andrew Bosworth, uh, who also in this area, about saying how much he wanted Trump to lose, but that we shouldn't stop him from winning this time, the Facebook. And he was talking about not wanting to do anything possible to make him lose, and yet he would not do it because, and he compared it. Let me just read this quote because it was too much. To Lord of the Ring, he goes, I desperately find myself wanting to pull any lever at my disposal to avoid the same result. So what stays my hand? This guy thinks he's a writer, whatever. I find myself thinking, what stays my hand? Thinking of the Lord of the Rings at this moment, specifically when Frodo enters, offers the ring to Galadriel. I don't watch this that well, and imagines using the power righteously at first, but knows it will eventually corrupt her. If you ask it of me, I will give you the one ring. You offer it to me freely. I do not deny that my heart has greatly desired this. And he apparently spelled the name of this character uh, with an A, not an E. As tempting as it is to use the tools available to us to change the outcome, I am confident we must never do that and we become what we fear. Now, listen to me, Mr. Bosworth. You don't have to have fair things. You don't have to, like, push it towards Trump. But what you can't do is you create a situation where it advantages him. Uh, This is my rant. This is just like Mark's free speech speech. Um, this is bullshit, Andrew Bosworth. This is ridiculous. This is your thoughts for 2020 to me are all about someone who does who just doesn't have any kind of can't think critically. It's just astonishing. And you can talk all you want about the shortcomings of Facebook and you've been late to do this, but the fact of the matter is you didn't do your jobs in keeping your network clean. It right. has nothing to do with you intervening in the election because you have this ridiculous Jesus complex of power that you don't have. It's just it it, it reveals so much about Facebook and the people who run it more than it does about anything else. And so I have to call bullshit on this ridiculous essay. Uh, I, I like Andrew Bosworth, but it's just, it's just, ugh, just. Ugh. I like Andrew Bosworth too. I'm disappointed. You know, he, after a great college career as a linebacker, he failed in the NFL and then went on <laughs> to be a mediocre film star. Oh, wait, that's a different Bosworth. And, but you know what? Pop references are very important. And All you know right, what? Go. You and I go. have been paid a paid a handsome bounty by Trinet and Mack Weldon underwear to go after people, total bitches that are full of shit. So Mr. Bosworth, yeah, listen, the Mandadogians, you know Kara Mac and Weldon Scott do- are coming for Mac you. Weldon does we are the Mandadogians keeping underwears. the universe safe and protecting baby Yoda. Let's just say, Mac Weldon's underwears are excellent. Facebook's efforts here are not. And any reference to Lord of the Rings makes me want to just I just really want to lose. I, I lose it when I they start that bullshit. It brought us Vito Morganson. That guy's that guy's a movie star. Eastern Promises, okay. great movie. Okay, all right. We're gonna take a break. We'll be right back with listener mail. It's about thank Australia. you for the so rabbits. I'm here with and my rabbits. Rabbit. <laughs> just pet, pet the rabbit, Scott. And then some wins, fails, and predictions. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, 
Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Scott, we're back, and we're going to go right to listener mail because I have a listener question from someone in Australia. So let's take a listen. You've got, you've got, I can't believe I'm going to be a mailman. You've got mail. Hi, my name is Rob. I am in Sydney, Australia. Uh, As you might have seen in the media, Australia is fighting some of the worst fires that we've ever seen. Around 40 people have died or are missing. Millions of animals unique to Australia have died, and 50,000 square miles have gone. We also have a climate change denying government who have dragged their feet in response to this catastrophe. Given we are more likely to see natural disasters in the future, is there a place for tech in responding to them? Well, that is a good question. I like your accent too, Rob and Sydney. Doesn't he sound dreamy? um, it he was, sounds, it was, it he was, sounds sad and dreamy. I want to, don't sad. you want to comfort him? Send him a rabbit. No, I don't. Send him no. a rabbit. Listen to me. This is a serious situation. Yes, I do think. I, as I wrote recently in the New York Times, um, I do think there is the, there is a lot of not just not just the right thing to do, but there's a lot of money to be made in whoever figures out this climate tech issues. And so there's all kinds of different technologies right now. A lot of the tech is around cleaning up. You know, essentially removing carbon from the atmosphere that's already there, um, do, cleaning the oceans, things like that. So a lot of it is stuff that's to me not really the point. I think the stuff we have to focus on is you talked about using fossil fuels is is these technologies that do not use that and have different ways of creating the kind of things we want. The other thing is uh, the ability of certain tech to sort of watch and know what's going to happen and AI to pattern it. Um, I don't. There's all kinds of different things going on with materials. There's all kinds. Of, there's all kinds of solutions from tech, none of which is sort of the silver bullet, but there's there, there's not a lot of money put to this. Um, and I'll, the only two people that are really investing from a big point of view would be Bill Gates and Elon Musk. So, uh, yes, absolutely. I think that beyond the stuff of, of, you know, Facebook's doing crisis check-in and things like that, there's all kinds of things that tech could do and is not doing to make this a better planet. 
Yeah, I worry, Kara, that uh, I worry that falling back to a capitalist solution and waiting for the next Elon Musk to to address the the world's most urgent problems creates cold comfort and creates a gestalt that is dangerous. And that is that if we just expect that we're going to find a company, uh, an individual to come up with a great idea that will create trillions in shareholder value and we'll come up with some elegant easy solution to it. I think it it creates a certain level of dangerous complacency. And I think around climate change, there's just no getting around it. It's going to be really expensive, and we need our leaders to stop irresponsibly allocating capital and essentially creating a policy that reflates asset prices with incredible debt that is nothing but a transfer of time with families and loved ones from our grandkids to us. And to behave more responsibly and have an adult conversation that if, if you know, it, hey, if somebody, if some kid from MIT shows up and comes with a solution to clear the plastic out of the oceans, fantastic, make him or her a trillionaire. But until then, let's assume this shit is going to be hard and expensive and that we're going to have to pay for it. And the government is the one, uh, just as they, they arrested the, the AIDS virus or helped with that, they invented the internet with a massive investment in technology through DARPA, just as they made a massive investment to turn back Hitler. We have to make a massive investment as a society. And it's going to mean we're not going to have as many Hershey bars to be able to get a steak, which is what happened during World War II, to to address this war on climate change. But I worry, and I'm not accusing you of anything, but I think we have to be very careful to believe that technology and some and shareholder value and capitalism is going to fix this. See, I'm trying to appeal to anything. Their greed yeah. is something I'd like to appeal no, to. Though. I'd like them to point. make more investments here to make breakthroughs and things like that. Because I don't think the greatest minds are being applied to these issues as yeah, they should. Yeah, I think should. that's right. That's, that's what I mean. It's that, look, if you're not going to do it because it's the right thing, if our government's not going to do it, maybe you'll do it because you're greedy. Like in material sciences or, you know, there's all kinds of ways to handle this. It's you know, It does get to a point where we have to, like, live a certain way. You're right. You have to change the way you actually live unless there are technologies. Then we didn't think there would be technologies of trains, of planes, of anything else long ago. So I just think the stuff we can't imagine that we should start to imagine, and that's what I'd like to see. That's why I'd like to see it, you know, as research projects and things like that. I think it's long past time that major tech people should get deeply involved in this issue, and they're not. They're just not. They're not there in a way that they need to be. That's my. That was my point, yep. and I was trying to appeal to their feeling yep. of being the world's first trillionaire. Yep. Um, Anyway, th- thank you very much from Sydney, uh, Rob. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, it. Rob, and, and best of luck. Our by heart way, goes out to you. We stand with our Australian. Have you been to Australia? Yes, many times. It is. Uh, talk about an, an interesting, maverick, fun, impressive people in a I place of just incredible there. natural beauty. Every time you go to Australia, within 48 hours, you're like, okay, I want to move here. I want to live here. And then within a week, yeah. you're like, it's just too damn far. <laughs> Everyone, we would, we would all live in Australia if it wasn't yes. literally on the other side of the world. My nephew lives there, and I love it there. And I, I visited him in Melbourne. Now he lives in Sydney. It's it's wonderful. Um, all right, we're going to wins and fails. Uh, you know, one that we left behind was CES. This My fail is obviously the, the Consumer Electronics Association with Ivanka Trump talking about tech. I just— <laughs> Just Did you hear anything about the speech? I haven't heard anything about it. It just was la, 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 la. nothing, nothing. She's at least if they're going to if they wanted to talk about actually address this issue around STEM and everything else, they should bring in someone who actually was the expert. You know, someone's daughter talking about things like whatever topic she wants to. It's just the president.
business owner is just not, she's not qualified to talk about this. And it was one, she was talking about retraining and this and that, which is one of her areas. I just, it's so, there's so much nepotism and lack of qualification. I don't know where to begin. And it's just, it's just typical. The CES, I was there for a very brief second, not even at any of the CES events, doing something with Snapchat. But it just is really, it just was, it was just another step that this is the most irrelevant uh, gathering around and nothing really much happens there. Used to be a big deal. Yeah, so you think CES has lost some of its value or luster? Yeah, lost, completely lost. Yeah. The things don't come out that way. People don't make announcements. It's such an old, antiquated way of doing things. I'm sort of like, you know, let's let's you know let's get let's get the wagon out of the. Th- it's just not the way people do announcements anymore. And they do some of them, but it's all like it's all stuff you already knew. None of the really important companies go there, and they don't make their important announcements. They they save those when they want to make them, right? Instead of waiting for one time a year. Um, and then just being in Vegas with all those people at the one time. They do get, just, they do get player. I mean, so my question is, I've only been once, and it was 10 or 12 years ago. And every every yeah. year I say I'm going to go because I need to learn more about specific technologies. And I want to mm-hmm. go because I, the dog likes to roll in Vegas. He's a lot of fun at a craps table. I, but I anyways, imagine. On seven, seven makers and ginger, baby needs new shoes. Oh, my God. <laughs> we would have so much that. fun you in just, Vegas. Think about it. Anyways, but they must be doing something right in their defense because – they get a lot of players. I know a lot of people that go to Vegas, and you see the biggest names or some of the no. biggest names in tech go there. So mm-hmm. what are they doing mm-hmm. right? They, must they go be there for advertisers. Right. No, I just think it's a gathering. There's, there's certain quiet gatherings off to the side are the really helpful ones, I guess. But no, there's absolutely nothing happening in tech there as far as I can tell. They did have a really interesting discussion. They had some FTC commissioners and others sort of going back and forth on regulation. But that happens all year round. You know what I mean? Like this is not a particular place to do it. I think it's a place to meet advertisers and to, uh, you know, if you're selling certain things, you know, certain electronics, it's fine. Um, but in terms of, of being the must, the place where things, the big announcements are being made, it's just not. It used to used to be that. It definitely did. And before that, Comdex for computers. But oh, yeah. it's not anymore. It's not. It's just not. It's just not. But, you know, bringing Ivanka Trump is so cynical. It, and this is a group of people that many years ago did this thing. To get women interested in tech, they had a display of pink-colored technologies. And I just I wanted to kill myself. Kill somebody. Almost. I literally was like, I'm going to take, I'm going to run through this with one of the. Oh, by the way, because I'm I'm so bored with yeah. this, I'm thinking about other things right now. I want to say mm-hmm. thank you. I, I like this notion of um, turning on the lights when you're talking about a problem. This is a total segue, or a total not even mm-hmm. a segue, a non sequitur. But it, you brought, you kind of illuminated or got me thinking about two different issues I hadn't been thinking about, and I like that. I like to the dog likes to be thoughtful every once in a while. So. <laughs> But when when we were talking, remember when I was doing my win last week on Lost in Space? Yeah. And you talked about, I forget it, the professor who was sort of the evil guy of the show. Mm -hmm. And you immediately said, oh, you mean the gay guy. And you had brought up uh, a few weeks ago this this movie I haven't seen called The Celluloid Closet talking about Mm -hmm. how media— Did you watch it? I haven't seen it. I want to. Oh, of course not. You hear it? I will see it. Just don't send it to me with a stuffed animal. Anyway, so— It's coming. The— you had basically said, and I, I, I was aware of this, but not to the extent that you kind of highlighted it. That as young people, young straight people, we were basically trained to think that there was something wrong with the gay mm-hmm. community. 
And then I look back to that show, and that guy was clearly, I mean, put, a, put a, an ascot on him, and he was Charles Nelson Riley. He was clearly mm-hmm. gay, right? But when I was well, no, watching they, it, it at the age of nine— seem, it, it wasn't gay. It's, the, it's the, these qualities of—it it was right. also it was so subversive, but it wasn't. It was apparent and subversive at the same time, where gay people always end up sort of either evil or silly right. or dead. 100%. The stereotypical yeah. effects of a gay man are associated with someone who's devious— can't mm-hmm. be trusted, is bottom line evil. And I'm thinking, I was watching that shit at the age of eight, nine, and 10, yep. along with my favorite show, where a beautiful woman was asked to go to her bottle and then would occasionally come out of the bottle and say, yeah. yes, master. Oh, that That's yeah. what I grew up on. And I didn't, <laughs> you kind of, I, you brought to light for me just how insidious that kind of stuff is. And the second, the second thing you um, brought up, when we're looking at problems, we have a tendency, I think the analogy I would use, we're in a room with a flashlight trying to find answers. And I've been thinking a lot about AB5. And mm-hmm. you sort of turned on the lights when you said, I think it was last week or a couple of weeks, you said, this is all about health care. And that is mm-hmm. if we were to figure out a way to get people access to health care that didn't bankrupt them or keep them healthy, we wouldn't be talking about the need for different classification of workers. And that was sort of an unlock for me. Anyways, Kara, oh, you've, you've turned God, on the lights in a couple of rooms for me. You're a wokarati, as some dumb writer wrote. Wokarati. All right, I need your wins and fails. Uh, that was my that was my fail, uh, and and uh, the win is Harvey Weinstein going into trial. That was with the walker. He's he's Whatever. obviously just shove that guy into prison as far as you're I ready, can tell. Huh? I can't win. You ready for we'll the big see. house that's, for Harvey? Yeah, we'll see if he get, if he wheedles out of it. You know, but I'm I'm the women who have done this are so brave and so you know there's such a even with this ridiculous backlash about it. There's been recently some writers. Uh, there's a book I'm reading that I've that is irritating me to no end um, about this idea of uh, things going too far and. Um, I just think it's great that this has happened. Sorry, I'm just that's feeling good about it. That's my win. What's your win and fail? My win is my favorite comedian is Michelle Wolf, and she has a new show on Netflix called Joke Show. You love her. And I think she's a genius. And I I think a lot about how do you disarticulate what genius is? Is it practice, commitment? Malcolm Gladwell did an interesting book on, on genius. And I think also a key component of genius is being literally unafraid. Like you just never look in the mirror and worry about what you look like. And what I mean by that is Lenny Bruce said very offensive things. I think Richard Pryor was massively Mm -hmm. offensive at the time. And he was just, these people are just unafraid. And I think Michelle Wolf talks about in a very vulgar way, and I'm a vulgar person, so I relate to her, some of these issues that people don't want to talk about out loud. And I think she's hilarious. I think her comedic timing, I think she's an incredibly uh, impressive, not only an impressive comedian, but I do think she qualifies as a genius because she's just Unafraid. So it's on Netflix. It's called Joke Show. I think it's fantastic. And another quick shout out to another strong, courageous, fury woman. Um, mm-hmm. Stephanie mm-hmm. Rule just got promoted yes. at NBC. She's going to be on the she Today did. Show, which is the, you know, kind of the hollow lame every morning, but it is the mm-hmm. Super Bowl of broadcast supported TV. And she's going to be doing more business reporting for NBC Nightly News. I met yep, Stephanie. Twelve or fourteen years ago, and I, uh, of course, I'm turning this back to me. I got called. They accidentally called the marketing department at NYU and said, "We need someone to come on and talk about Facebook." And I went on with Pim Fox, who I love, and Deirdre Bolton, who I adore. And then I started going on with Stephanie Rule and Eric Schatzker, who's he's like this super handsome, nice Canadian guy who fishes. I'm coming back as him in my next life. But anyways, 
Stephanie took me with her to MSNBC, and I do a bunch of stuff with her. And I just love the way talking about courage and fearlessness and not watching yourself. I think Stephanie is yeah, part of a, a dying group of people, what I call raging moderates. And she's unafraid and takes a lot of risks. And it's just nice to see her career maintain yes. that kind of trajectory. We will have her along with you at the Code Conference. There you go. We're both I'm a big fan be of there Stephanie. Anyways, congratulations together. to Stephanie Rule and Watch Joke Show with Michelle Wolf. All right, late uh, fail, please. Uh, so, look, my continued fail, I've been thinking a lot about this, is this concerted decision we've made. I did a post last week on my blog, No Mercy, No Malice, or ProfGalloway.com, mm-hmm. uh, uh, called The Unremarkables. And I think yeah. about back when I was uh, in graduate school, the tuition was $1,400, and I got a job at 90000 yielding kind of, if you will, a quick ratio or ROI of MBA of 60. And now kids are getting out of the high school making somewhere between 125 and 145, which is an amazing living. But their tuition is 62,000, creating an mm-hmm. ROI of two. And if you look at what's happened very kind of loosely or crudely across the decisions we've decided to make or the voters or the people in power, again, baby boomers across the central banks, is we've decided in a global coordinated effort to massively reflate the economy at the expense of future generations with massive debt. And what you have right now is more debt. If you took away, the the amount of debt we're making exceeds the positive kind of GDP growth. So without this artificially inflated economy with debt, we'd probably already be in recession because we've decided that we need to massively inflate current assets, which benefits who? Old people. Meanwhile, we've let wage growth stagnate and we let tuition increase. So we basically said as a public policy across Western nations, you know what, young people? Fuck you. I have mine and I want to hold on to it. (laughs) So the continued feudalism, the continued sharecropping of our leadership, we have decided to totally disinvest from future generations in the form of massive, massive increases in the cost of education, despite the fact that wages are the same. Another ratio, when I got out of business school, um, a house in San Francisco was $285,000. I got a job for like 90000 although I decided to mm-hmm. start my own company, Profit. So you had a three-to-one ratio. Again, now it's, let's assume, 140000 the average price of a home in San Francisco is 10x. So everything yep. that kind of gets in the way of young people starting You're families, starting businesses people. is You're essentially is essentially like we have we have literally declared war. It's like Andrew Yang's book uh, the war on normal people. Yeah. We have a decision around uh, in terms of how we create monetary and fiscal policy around what generations do the best and the worst. The reality is you can be very ageist. And we have decided literally, to, again, to just continue to transfer more wealth from our young people. Anyways, selfish, that's my rant. That's my fail, the feudalism people. of the I think current leadership. Right. I think you're right. I think I think about the young people. Although I give everything to my children. On, on, I think you do too. Um, whenever they even a sandwich, they eat all my sandwiches, everything else. But yes, I agree with you. I agree with you on this completely. Um, I, you know, what really struck me, uh, this I did a, a podcast with my whole family this week, which was sort of a fascinating little insight on into Rico my world. Decode? Yes, Enrico Deco. That was the whole Swisher family. Um, and one of the, uh, besides Lucky going on and on about, you know, you got a vision into someone who Trump has manipulated, and so is Fox News. Um, my son talking about worrying, but he's about to turn 18 years old, worrying about being drafted. It was, I, it came out of nowhere. It was really he's like. He's worried about he, being drafted. 
For yeah, because of the Iran thing, it yeah. was like, well, maybe I'll be drafted, and I was like, whoa, whoa, I hadn't, you know, the fact that this weighs on him uh, for this ridiculous whatever happened last week between Trump and Iran, this whole, you know, this ridiculous playing games with something that's so serious was quite brought into stark relief for me. And when he mentioned that, I have to say. All right, Scott, you didn't do predictions on Tuesday so that you could dazzle us with your brilliance on Friday. No pressure. What's your prediction? Yeah, I do have a prediction. So All right. I, I think what you're going to see is, you know, there are massive inbound attacks, uh, cyber attacks on the U.S. and attempts to hack uh, different databases or different kind of digital mm -hmm. reservoirs, if you were, or digital caches uh, in the U.S. And I think you're about to see just an explosion and cyber attacks uh, and hacks. Because if I were the GRU or I were the Mossad or I were the intelligence arm of the of the North Korean government, I'd be thinking, okay, it's not open season, but almost any cyber attack of any real danger or credibility, let's leave some breadcrumbs behind. Let's execute the attack through a VPN that runs through Iran. And every Every national security agency, domestic security agency, is going to immediately default to, well, it must be Iran attacking us, which has the double negative of, I think it's going to embolden a lot of other foreign governments to step up and become more brazen mm. in their attacks on the U.S. So that's the I first thing that's going to happen. The yeah. result is there's going to be a couple attacks that will work, that will get a lot of press, and you're going to see the stocks take a basket of Zscaler, Palo Alto Networks, and Cloudflare, none of which I have a position in. They're going to be up 20 to 30 percent this year oh. as these cyber attacks committed by governments and bad actors that are emboldened by our shit for brains, catastrophic geopolitical decision called the White House. And you're going to see the stocks of um, uh, cybersecurity companies go up 20 to 30 percent in the next six Ooh, to nine that's months. That's a good one, Scott. That's good. It has money and it has bigger world implications on it. That's a really substantive one. You're always I so like supportive it. around my predictions, and I thank you. <laughs> thank you. I have one. I have one. Yeah, I want ahead. you to think about it. We're going to talk about it okay. on Monday. Twitter in play. Twitter in play. Say I've more. Been hearing... and by the way, full disclosure, just, I'm a shareholder. I hear things. I just hear things. Really? Yeah. Are you I starting just, something? You, you know, you talked things. about it being the lower, the lower than. I don't know. I just feel like a lot of investors are looking at it, looking at it hard. Well, looking so at it hard. I, I can, I can validate. I can confirm your thesis here, Kara. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, it's the same work as I feel funny talking about this, but I want you All to right, talk well, don't. about it. I'm just saying, hard. People are looking at that company hard, especially yeah. given how the stock is not performing and the the big value around it that people feel that they have, you know, in terms of being the news well, distribution. Well, uh, I'm just going to take the ball and, and right. run with it a little bit here. But if you okay. were to talk about any other media company that has anything regarding the reach and influence of Twitter, it trades at 20 to 40 times the valuation. Right. Well. Just a lot of noise. You and I just love Twitter, of, don't we? I know. Oh, we by do, the way, what I'm do you just think? Saying, I'm hearing a lot of investor noise suddenly. That's yeah. No, I, I think I think I think you're right, as evidenced by I'm voting with my my wallet here. But what do you think of this idea of them banning or making it such that you can't reply unless you're follow? Oh, that person is following you. I like it. Yeah, I like, I like it. it too. I like it. It, get, it cleans up them. I like they're doing, they still should be doing so many more things. They have not worked on that product at all for a long time. And I do think that they um, they should be doing more and be more creative. Yeah. Uh, I think the, I'm writing about innovation and where it comes from this week. And I find them to be like, they could do so much more on that 100%. Platform. 
Um, yeah. And, you know, like Snapchat has evolved. Everybody's evolved their things. Even yeah. Facebook Twitter feels, feels Twitter feels very 2016. Yes. They need to do something about it. Yes. Anyway, that's my prediction. I'm have, we'll see what happens because I've had been some good – I've had some good luck on the predictions. I'm getting good because of adjacency to you. Um, anyway, uh, it makes, I'm just thinking harder. Adjacency to me. That's the adjacency sexiest thing you've said to the dog. <laughs> that's as close as I'm getting. That's adjacent. right. Adjacent on up to the adjacent. dog. That's right. <laughs> He's just come from the groomer. That's right. <laughs> you need to be groomed. If That's I'm right. Be I get to you. it. I get it. Listen, I'm glad Scott. you're finally in touch with your emotions. A little hot for daddy. I get it. No, a little no, hot for doggy. Even, no, God, Jesus. Oh, Honestly, right. you can't. You take any good moment and turn it into. I showered bad. this That's, morning. Okay. I did That's shower enough. this morning. Okay, it's time to go. This, obviously, it's time to go. Uh, you've obviously woken up. And anyway, we'll be back together in New York on Monday. Are you going to be here physically in person? Speaking I am. Of I'm, Jason. Coming, I'm coming back to New York. We're, we're doing right. it together? We're, we're, we're in doing the it together. I'm in New York. Yes, I'm in New York. Because mm-hmm. I have to, you know, I have to talk to Paul Ryan next week, which I'm just You're talking to Paul to, Ryan? The, the don't even. Wisconsin we'll talk about guy? it. Well, I just don't. I'll, it'll have happened when I see you, maybe. So, yes. yes. For Rico Decode? No, it's some th- event, the NRF event, and we're going to be on stage together. And I don't know how I'm going to whisper oh, that means, myself. That means mommy's making some cabbage. You've totally yeah. been paid for that. <laughs> no, I'm not. I didn't get paid for it. I'm doing it for some whatever reason. Don't even ask me. But I'm just going to—I just am not going to be able to hold back. If this guy makes one sideways glance at me in a way that, like, hey, I had nothing to do with it, I'm really going to pounce. It's going to have to—I'm sorry, Paul Ryan. I'm warning you in advance. Very likable. Anyway. That Paul Ryan is very likable. Oh, no, no. No? You don't no, think he's likable? No. I think he's very likable. No, no. I, and anyway, I'm also interviewing Ben Silberman. I've got a lot going on at, next week, but I will ben be here Pinterest? for you. Ben from Pinterest? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, Ben's nice. Ben's a nice yeah, guy. Yeah, he's really nice. Anyway, uh, we're going to be together in the same zip code. I'm very excited, so I'm excited to see you. Thank you. Um, Likewise. Sort of. Anyway, I would Mostly. love you to read your line that you're supposed to read, but I shall read it for you. As yeah. always, if you have questions about a story you're hearing in the news for us to answer next week, uh, questions pivot at voxmedia.com. Please send us anything you you want to talk about, and we will be happy to respond if it's a really good one. Good. And today's show was produced by Rebecca Sinanis. Erica Anderson is Pivot's executive producer. Thanks also to Rebecca Castro and Drew Burrows. Make sure you've subscribed to the show on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or, frankly, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Did I just repeat you, Kara? No, you didn't. Okay, good. No. Finally, I got that right. You got it right, except you missed. Thanks for listening to Pivot from Vox Media. We'll be back next week for another breakdown of all things tech and business. Word, my sister, word. Word.